Welcome to this episode of Reading Between the Wines, a podcast for those of you who may have forgotten to read the book but are currently headed to book club and then would like to learn a little bit more about wine on your way home. I'm your hostess, Winona Glass, joined by the Somme of the South, Miss Keegan Moore. Hello, everyone. So today's episode, we are talking about Home Before Dark. This is a June 2020 novel from Riley Sager. All right, Keegan, before we get into it, what were your thoughts? It was super fun to read it late at night in bed in low light. <laughs> it was, was quite a like page turner thriller. This is a little different from ones that we've done before. Yeah. But very reminiscent of some of the other thrillers that we have done. And I very much enjoyed this book because, wow, it was kind of kept you guessing right up until the end. Yes. And we've picked yet another book where we have two different timelines <laughs> going on. <laughs> yes. So this book takes place with Maggie Holt, who's 30 years old, and she inherits the Bainberry Mansion from her father, who has died. And she doesn't even know that he still owns this. So this is the subject of a novel that he had written when about when Maggie was five years old. So 25 years ago, he'd written a novel, and it was a, called The House of Horrors. And the family only lived in the house for 20 days. So he's owned the house for 25 years and no one knew. And they only lived in the house for 20 days. Not a secret. Can we just talk about, again, a lot happens in that 20 days. Like from day one. (laughs) I mean, I was shocked at how quickly things progressed in this. I mean, at least they weren't like fully moved in. I guess. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) They hadn't even unpacked the pod yet, and they're like, pack it back up, we're out. Just kidding. (laughs) I am not going to stay here another night. Right. So uh, the book kind of centers around five-year-old Maggie and some, like, anomalies that are happening in the house with young Maggie, and it starts pretty much right away with her um, seeing two spirits in the house, primarily at night, mostly in her room, um, Mr. Shadow who kind of, like, steers her away, like, you know, wants her to leave the house, like, you, you don't belong here. She's trying to get her to leave the house. And then Mrs. Pennyface. And Mrs. Pennyface is just kind of this, like, quiet starer, like, total stalker. Chilling in the corner, just staring you down. Watching her sleep. Like, okay, cool. Not cool when you're five. So we find out that the... Previous owners, the Carvers, had some tragedy that had happened in the house and that Curtis Carver, the father, killed their daughter and then hung himself. And the the mom, Martha, found both of them in the house. So mom Martha sells the house and the Holtz buy it, Ewan and Jess buy the house with their five-year-old and move in. So that's a lot of like fresh drama that just happened. And then you find out later in the book that like Martha never left. Martha's still there in town. I don't know why that was odd to me that like she didn't try to leave and start fresh or she was okay with it. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of like, it's a small town. I mean, it's everybody knows Murder suicide story. Right. Yeah. In small towns, we all know we both grew up in small towns. Like sometimes you have to go to the coffee shop just to find out what's going on in your life. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> you got to find out what other people are talking about in your life. What does she say? Mm-hmm. And so Martha's the the town baker and still runs the bakery. So she just stays and continues living her life there, which is interesting. So even in present day, so like when 30-year-old Maggie inherits the house, Martha is still in Bainberry. So she has not left over 30-plus years uh, since this incident. So that becomes like a key factor in the story later, but I thought that was interesting. Like at no point did she ever just want to start over. And given the ending of this book, I feel like it may have turned out better for her if she had. It was super confusing for me to figure out once I'd gotten through a mm-hmm. decent amount of the book, what was real and what was not. Oh my goodness, yes. So it's like, oh, he like stumbled upon a grave. Actually, that's just the pet cemetery. Right. So there was a cemetery on property, and that is a kind of a key for part. Pets. Key part of the story, <laughs> both for Maggie's life story and for the book story. Right. The book story makes it a lot more dramatic. Correct. A lot more um, embellished. But the actual. Maggie really does trip and fall in the cemetery on and cuts her face on a stone in the 20 days that they live there. And she does have to go and like have stitches made. And that's germane to the story only because there's pictures of that time period. And she's trying to figure out like, well, now I don't have this, the bandage on my face. And now I do have the bandage on my face. Uh, I mean, again, 20 days that you lived there, I'm, I, two weeks of my life, I've been in three states. So, <laughs> and I, I don't even know if I took pictures for most of those. So, you know, the fact that there's documentation of all these days when she was there and the history of the house, because of course this house has, has a history. And her dad had written this book about the house and had talked about the people who had lived there even previous that was William Garrison and his daughter Indigo Garrison. And Indigo was murdered supposedly by William. So there's this like history of dads killing their daughters in this house. And so part of the story was that they left the house because Ewan felt unsafe there with Maggie because he was afraid he would harm her. Okay. Right then and there, why would you buy this house? Like again, it was a really good deal. Well, yeah. (laughs) For good reason. Sometimes good deals should just be left alone. (laughs) Yeah. But there's two people who've been at the house since the beginning, since the garrisons, and that is Walt, the caretaker, and Elsa, the housekeeper. And they are both very apropos to the story because they're really the ones that Maggie leans on to try to understand, like, the history of the house. And Elsa doesn't – Elsa is – is up there in age and she is not necessarily as coherent as she used to be. She's got some like Alzheimer's or dementia or something that's coming in. And so she's getting information is, is hard from her, but it's very clear that she holds ill feelings towards the house because her daughter disappeared while she was the caretaker of the house, Petra. And she has a younger daughter, Hannah, um, who also played with Maggie for the 20 days that they lived there. And so while they are living there is when Petra disappears. So in the 20 days that they're living in the house, Petra disappears. And we find out later, like, holy cow. She is found. Yes. So some random things happen to Maggie while she's in the house. 
like snakes fall from the ceiling. Yeah, no big deal. The right. record player thing. Record player, I am 16 first going time. on 17, like oh starts God. blaring at 4.45 in the morning. The first time that happened would have been the time I was out. using a sledgehammer <laughs> in, the, in the yard to take care of that. And it kept coming back. Yeah. Like it kept showing back no, up. No. She would get rid of it. and Maybe it once, like, but not twice. Oh my uh, gosh, this is like the Chucky doll, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. it just like keeps reappearing places. And a stuffed animal uh, yes. appears as well. Yes. And so then she's trying to have the ceiling repaired where the snakes fell through and find something else there, which happens to be a bag of bones, which is Petra. Uh, yeah. yeah, we find Petra. And so the story that unfolds, oh my goodness. I mean, I feel like there's so many twists and turns in this book, but the story that unfolds is that Ewan and Jess needed a night out during their 20 days there. And so they asked Elsa, the housekeeper, to send Petra over to babysit and Petra was grounded because she had a secret boyfriend that her mom who's super religious had found out about and so Petra sneaks out of the house to come in and babysit for Ewan and Jess and she put baby Maggie to bed five-year-old Maggie to bed and goes in to check on her and Martha the previous owner is standing in the room with baby Maggie and Petra freaks out. I mean, as anyone would, right? I mean, this is a big old old house. And now all of a sudden, like, a stranger is standing. Not a stranger, but someone who should not be in the kid's bedroom is standing there. Yeah. And so Petra freaks out. Martha and Petra have a scuffle. And it turns out someone pushes Petra down the stairs. Now, Ewan and Jess come home and... Petra is, sit, is is dead at the base of the stairs, and the only other person in the house is five-year-old Maggie. Being the parents that apparently have are oblivious to the fact that all this crazy stuff has happened in their house, they assume five-year-old Maggie pushed Petra down the stairs because she has anger issues. Pushed an adult woman down, down the stairs. stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they decide, we're going to do the only thing that makes sense, and we're going to cover it up for the, our five-year-old's sake. And send them to a child psychologist. yes. And send our five-year-old to a child psychologist because clearly she has anger issues. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure after all that, I would have anger issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I can see what this is, what, where this comes from. So Maggie, when she moves into this house, really doesn't recall any of this. She doesn't remember much of the time from when she was in the house other than she does still have the scar under her left eye from when she fell and hit her head. And she has been told her entire life by her mom that the book was lies. Like, the, the book was completely fictional. It was all made up. Your dad, none of this happened. When in reality, like, half of it happened? Yeah, definitely based on true right, events. Right, <laughs> And so, as Maggie starts to kind of unfold the story, because, you know, her mom keeps telling her, like, whatever you do, don't go back to the house. Whatever you do as an adult, when she inherits the house, she's like, don't go back there. So being a very mature 30-year-old, she it's waits the till the first her, thing she does. She waits till her mom goes out of town. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then she goes. So when she knows that she can't contact her mom or her mom can't contact her, leaves her a voicemail like, surprise. Hey, by the way, I'm at the house. That one thing you told me not to do. So her mom like leaves Europe to come back and see her at the house and was like, uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> in the meantime, uh, we find out that the random things that have been happening in the house, like 
the stuff disappearing, the bells that uh, we haven't talked about the bells that would chime and like in in the dad's book would play out like words. Oh yeah. It was he totally like, figured out the alphabet with a ghost. <laughs> Talked through bells in the house. I mean, doesn't everybody? Yeah. In 20 days? I mean, there was also a Ouija board they found, right? That was of course. Like, super nice, actually. Yes. And- yes. Because it let them know that Curtis Carver was trying to protect them when they were in the house. Yeah. So find out that a lot of the stuff is, some of it's true, some of it's not true. And we find out what happened to Petra because, I mean, well, she wants to know what happened to Petra because we found her body in there. So she's like, okay, we're pretty sure you killed the babysitter when you were five and we were covering it up for you. And she's like, what? what? That's why we wouldn't, didn't want you to go back. Yeah. And so Hannah, uh, Petra's younger sister, is the one who had been sneaking into the house and stealing things and playing the music and messing with the bells just to get Maggie to leave because... They didn't want anybody in the house. She was stealing. Hannah was stealing the stuff to pay for her mom's care um, because her mom was becoming more and more like she was just wandering around the property looking for Petra, looking for what happened. And so then Martha shows up at the house and she's made a pie. And nobody, I mean, I wouldn't think anything about it if a baker showed up at my house with a pie absolutely i would be like welcome come in you would just you like brought to eat one this right now on the porch yeah yes there are, you yes, didn't bring multiple pies i mean what okay one's fine i won't be gluttonous but what we haven't mentioned is that the bane berry that the whole town is named for is actually a poisonous berry they just let it grow though right <laughs> yeah it just grows everywhere and so it's a, an extraordinarily poisonous berry and Martha has baked some of the bane berries into the pie that she gave Maggie. So she's poisoned her, but we don't know this yet. And (laughs) again, like as her mom is showing, all this is happening right at one time, right? As her mom shows up and she's like confessing that, you know, hey, we think you killed the babysitter, all this stuff. She's like, I'm going to eat the pie. (laughs) Maggie's like, I'm eating pie. Like if we're having all this conversation, I'm eating pie. So her mom, she cuts a a slice of pie for her mom, but her mom never eats it because she's talking the whole time. Little do we know, this is what saves her mom's life because the pie is poison. So Maggie is now like delirious and weak. Her mom has left. Martha's there, still there. And now she's trying to like choke Maggie. Smother her out, man. Yes. Which is suspicious given that her daughter died of suffocation Mm -hmm. by a pillow. And here she is trying to suffocate a grown woman. So Maggie, even in her um, altered state of, you know, being half delusional with poison, poisoned. has kicked her off from her trying to suffocate her. And again, there's like this altercation. By the stairs. By the stairs, yes. And when she's kind of on her verge of dying... Maggie sees this like glowing light and she's convinced it's Petra who pushes Martha down the stairs, breaking her neck. And it's like crazy because that's exactly how Petra died. And I, well, not crazy, full circle, maybe. I mean, I guess it's full circle. And so she's, uh, she gets back and they take her, you know, they come save her life, all that. And they find out it was Elsa the mom who's actually pushed 
Martha down the stairs and apparently was looking very lucid and coherent at the moment when she did it. But I don't know. There was just like so many crazy characters and I felt like everybody was, I don't know, like had some guilty. Yeah. Crazy part to the story (laughs) that, and we didn't even talk about Dane yet. So Dane's the grandson of Walt, the groundskeeper. Again, it's kind of this meet cute, right? We think that something's going to happen between single 30-year-old Maggie and Dane, who's the hot handyman. And oh, she shut that down. She did shut it down, first of all. But second of all, I thought it was, I'm still confused. So Dane was involved in the story because you find out that he was Petra's secret boyfriend that she was sneaking out with. And so whenever Maggie goes to confront Dane about being Petra's secret boyfriend, he keeps saying, like, I didn't kill her. You don't understand. I, let me explain. And he starts, like, coming towards her. Chasing her. And they're in the attic. And, which again, like, why would you confront a guy about killing somebody in an attic? I, that seems, but I guess it's not a thriller if you don't do it in a weird spot. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so Maggie is, like, running away from him and she leaps over the gap in the ceiling from where, you know, the snakes were and the dead body was and all that fun stuff. But Dane forgets about it. So Dane falls through the ceiling and ends up leaving on a stretcher and almost dies. A couple broken bones. Concussion. Yeah. Yeah, Ends up in the hospital for a while. Then like packs up and leaves. Never says anything to Maggie. I'm talking about the chief of police. I don't know. It's another kind of. Oh my gosh. She's the one that saved. Alcott. Chief Alcott. Yes, that's another character in the story who shows up and she's kind of got a chip on her shoulder, but for a good reason, right? I mean, she's the one who took the initial police report when her dad had called in and she knew something was off, but she didn't follow her instincts. And then Maggie shows up and she's like, oh no. Right. I refuse yeah. to let you write a sequel to this book that has like ruined everyone's life the city mm-hmm. ever since yeah. your dad wrote that book and she had like a true chip on her shoulder from the moment Maggie walked in the door exactly and Maggie's like dude not dude dudette I'm just here to I just inherited this I, what I'm, else would I do I want to fix this up and sell it I don't want to be a part of this any more than you want me to be a part of it I'm going to be here as little as I can so let's make this amenable to both of us and but she's she, like, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but she ends up saving Maggie in the end. She does. She saves her life. Yeah. And she's like, oh, what are this clump of female bodies at the bottom of the stairs? <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> this mass entanglement I of estrogen. Right? She estrogen. walks in to find, like, Elsa and Marta and Maggie, like, splayed out in front of the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's quite a dramatic ending to the book. And... Uh, I was impressed that we've picked another book that has no real romantic storyline. Yeah. They tried. Yeah. This is Maggie's good. like, no, Dane, go away. I don't want your like beer and whiskey in this hotel tonight. Thank you. Oh, we didn't talk about the secret entrance. That was how they were getting in. Oh, that's in. the whole, yeah, the armoire. Oh, the oh, armoire. The yes, the armoire. That was where Mrs. Pennyface was getting in and out of the house kind of undetected was... Hannah had actually told Maggie, adult Maggie, about the secret passageway. And it, yeah, it like ends up in an armoire in her bedroom. 
crazy creepy. Super convenient from a hidden back door through the armoire. That was like covered in ivy. And so no one knew it was there. see it even. Yeah. She had to like feel around after Hannah told her it was there. Which I don't, I don't, did, oh, Elsa told her, told Hannah about the door. Because Elsa was using that because Elsa was Mr. Shadow. Yeah. And then come to find out that. Martha is Miss Pennyface because mm-hmm. there was a reflection in her glasses that made her eyes look like pennies from whenever wherever she would sit or stand and stand on the corner and yes, stare and stare. Creepy. Why? I know. Yeah. So this book had some really good haunted stories. How are we going to tie that into wine? They were pretty adamant about the fact that they didn't drink. Right. Yes. Because <laughs> that's the you last didn't need thing. Any you need. alcohol. <laughs> Snakes not falling from the ceiling. Enhance uh, this in any way. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it'd be fun to talk about some haunted wineries. I feel like we need something to drink if we're going to talk about haunted wineries. Absolutely. So we're going to drink one from a haunted winery. <gasps> Fantastic. A lot of history, but we're going to drink some Corbel Brute California champagne. Wonderful. So we're going to take a quick break. Keegan's going to pour something in our glass, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So Keegan, tell us what you poured. Today we are drinking a 2017 Corbel Natural mm. Brut. Yum. This is a vintage wine from Corbel, and it's their fruit-forward house style. So this is predominantly Pinot Noir, 65%, and 35% Chardonnay. So I don't know that I've ever had it. I, I thought that most champagnes were sh- Chardonnay. I didn't realize that Pinot Noir was a component. Pretty equally distributed between Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and then Manuet is also used. Interesting. In Champagne, but in California, it's mostly Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So that definitely, depending on what that balance looks like, it could make the Champagnes taste very differently. Absolutely. Pinot Noir typically brings a more fruit-forward style, mm-hmm. kind of brings in some red fruits. Okay. Whereas Chardonnay is a little crisp, kind of more on that yellow apple side. Okay. So I'm going to tell some ghost stories. No way. We're going to start in Sonoma. There's a lot of haunted Sonoma wineries. Quick little fact. There is a difference between a haunted winery and a ghost winery. Oh, do tell. So a ghost winery is one that was built in the late 1800s and -hmm. then abandoned Mm. before or during Prohibition. Whereas haunted wineries are haunted with supposed ghost sightings and ah, uh, so ghost means like what the what the kids call ghosting. Yes, like where you just disappear. The ghost. Yep. Yes. So a ghost winery just like all of a sudden no one is there anymore. Thanks to that beautiful gold rush. Yes. In California, a lot of people moved there, mm-hmm. failed at gold, built a winery, failed at that. Or Prohibition hit and they were like, ah, we're out. Yes. So they just walked away. Yeah. And left Whereas all these a buildings. haunted winery is like, paranormal got, activity. We got some things happening here. Lights on, mm-hmm. orbs floating around. Right. Random so, marbles. Marbles showing up in places I don't know where they came from. 
So we're going to start with Buena Vista. We've talked about them in a previous podcast, haven't we? Yes. Excellent. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you've heard that. Yeah. It was members not- only. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber, now would be a great time to head over to readingbetweenthewines.blog so you can become a Patreon subscriber and hear about our Buena Vista experience. So the guy that started Buena Vista, Agastón Harasti, his body was never found. No way. And the rumor goes that he drowned or got eaten by an animal when he was in Nicaragua. (laughs) So maybe his ghost returned to the winery. He's like... Please get me home. Yeah. Just, I want to go Just home. Just want to be home. <laughs> uh, another winery in Sonoma, Bartholomew Park Winery. This winery was once a women's prison, a hospital, and a morgue. That The winery <laughs> was all of those things? Yeah. Well, you've got some serious ghosts there. You're asking for some things yeah. to happen, right? Yes. So winery employees have heard singing, typically hymns, in the cellar where the prisoners were once held. Okay, I kind of makes that. sense. Yeah, yeah. uh huh. That that does not surprise me. And uh, there is a story that goes: the remains of one of the incarcerated women were found in the basement walls mm. when an earthquake happened, Mm-mm. and they had to like redo that part in the seventies, and they found remains. Another winery is Chateau Saint John. A couple from Michigan, Ernest and Maud Goff, built a summer home on the site of what is now the winery and the vineyards. They moved there in the 20s. And their daughter, Camilla, died in her teen years with no real explanation as to why. So employees say her spirit looks over the chateau, which is the visitor center and the winery. Dry Creek Vineyard, um, built on site of a Pomo Indian reservation. That's got to be some bad juju. Yeah. So the ghost is supposedly a Native American man, and he likes to hang out in the guest house. Hmm. And the California Wine Institute has reported this winery's ghost. And the manager of the tasting room was working late one night and had a missed call on her cell phone from the direct line to the winery. Dun, dun, dun. The call was coming coming from from inside inside the the house. house. Yes. (laughs) So let's talk about Corbel, which is what we're drinking today. Yes. Are they haunted as well? Of course they are. They've been around since the 1800s. So a fun fact, the 2014 horror film Altergeist is about King's Ransom Winery Mm -hmm. is based on and filmed at Corbel. Okay. All right. Not that I'm going to watch that movie, but interesting fact to know. Apparently it has some comedic humor to it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was produced by Aaron Heck, who was the son of Corbell owner and president, Gary Heck. And he actually grew up on the property with his family. And Heck tells a story of a cook that took her own life in the attic in the 1880s. Oh, my. And groundskeepers report strange happenings, and they've seen orbs of light in the redwoods at night. Oh, my goodness. Keegan, do you like scary movies? I'm not a big movie watcher in general, but no. I don't. Do you like scary books? Scary books are okay. Scary podcasts? Do you like things scary? Sometimes. If it's actually scary, if it's the, like, gotcha guy jumps out of a bush, I'm not really about those. Okay. What about you? I don't I don't like like horror 
just nasty, right. like gore. 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 Yeah. I can't do that. But I do like a, like a psychological thriller, like The oh, Sixth yeah. Sense or Absolutely, something like that, yeah. where it's not like overtly um, disgusting, exactly <laughs> gory. But I I tend to I I definitely stay away from all of those that are like the Halloweens and the Michael Myers and your typical kind of American horror movies. Right. No, thank you. Well, on that note, let's drink. Well, cheers. Yes. Pretty fruity on the nose. Mm-hmm. Also pretty yeasty. I Definitely. smell apples. Apples. Maybe mm-hmm. some toast. Always toast. Baked bread. We love toast. Perhaps. And on the palate. Pretty fruit forward once again. Kind of confirms what you smell in the nose. Mm-hmm. Decent amount of acidity. Not really uh, tearing our mouth out today. It, it is not. It, it, this is a, a quite, I could see sitting on the side of the pool drinking this. Like right. it's a, it's not a rosé all day, but I mean, it is a bubbles for breakfast kind of morning. Yeah, good bubbles for breakfast. Uh, not too complex, but this is $15, $18 on the shelf. Okay. So pretty reasonably priced on the retail side in the United States. Uh, I just want to touch on their history there. Uh, Corbell was established in 1882 by three brothers that came over and wanted to start their business in making cigar boxes. So they were chopping redwoods down and were pretty successful until there was a fire and they lost all their product. So, like a good businessman, they pivoted and tried a dairy and some other things and eventually sent their soil off to be tested at UC Davis and found out that they were on some pretty incredible land in Sonoma. Interesting. And that's how they got in the wine business. So, that's how Corbell started. Was it originally started as cigar boxes? Cigar boxes. And evolved into a winery. Exactly. And it has been a winery since? 1882. Wow. So well over 120 years at this point. So they were one of the fortunate ones during Prohibition. Right. They got to make brandy and wine for medicinal and altar purposes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely cut their production. They definitely had to destroy some of their inventory. That hurts. That very much hurts. Yeah, those even a hundred years the, later, yeah. I I feel those grapes just guys with axes on barrels, just like letting it pour out. It, it's it so makes, sad. I can feel the grapes sad crying sad. as they go back into the earth. Mother Earth got a whole lot of wine. Mother Earth was incredibly <laughs> happy during Prohibition, yes. where the rest of us cried. But luckily, we did end that. Um, but in the Early 1950s, they sold to a third-generation winemaker, Adolf Heck. Mm-hmm. So, Keegan, do you story. have any more wine stories for us? For sure. So that was kind of all based in Sonoma, but there are other ones in California as well. Beringer is known to be one of the most haunted wineries in California. Apparently, most of the paranormal activity takes place in the Rhine house, mm. which is where the original Beringer family lived in the late 19th century. 
So along with the marbles, there is missing or moved objects. They have heard footsteps on the stairs, often reported. Mm -hmm. The staff has also reported seeing the ghost of Frederick Beringer, who is the founder. And they actually have an extensive file to record all of the ghostly activity. So Beringer, which is a pretty well-known name in Definitely. addition to Corbell, so both of those considered haunted wineries. That's interesting. There's also Trefethen, uh, first founded in 1886, and they illegally continued operation through prohibition. Some of our favorite people. Right, but that uh, obviously a, a attracted certain people. So of course. Of course. <laughs> a thief broke into the winery, mm. and he was caught. And then bootleggers beat him and then hanged him from the ceiling beam in the main building. As like a warning to other Yeah, exactly. Like, Like, don't mess with us. Don't report us or we will hang you after we beat you. And so the ghost is often reported as a dark presence. And so I could imagine I would be a little angry (laughs) if I was beaten and then hanged from the center of the winery uh, just because I needed to get my fix on. You're trying to steal. Um, But some... People have reported seeing a shadow swinging from the ceiling. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty sketchy. Uh, cool. And then there's also Charles Krug, who apparently died peacefully in 1892. But there are reports of a man's booming laughter being heard from the main production area or near the cellar. <laughs> well, I mean, if you've got to have a ghost, a happy ghost is the way to go, right? right? If I'm going to hear a ghost and he's laughing, I feel like I could imagine worse things happening. Exactly. I would much rather a laughing ghost with a booming voice than one hanging from the ceiling. Exactly. And a dark presence. So do we have any ghost stories from outside of California? We do here in the United States. There's also Texas, which also... Has been producing wine for a long time, as we learned in a previous podcast. Absolutely. They had wine before California did. But according to some reports, uh, William Chris Vineyards, they have a cemetery on their property. That could cause some paranormal activity, for sure. And there's apparently a story about the marbles. Just some marbles. Marbles showing up in random places throughout the property. But they also found some shoes underneath the floorboards. Oh, when they... In their original farmhouse from the early 1900s. Really? From the Dyke family that owned the property. Exactly. But apparently that was supposed to be kind of a positive thing, right? For the Mm -hmm. spirits to have shoes to walk throughout the house. You don't want spirits to have cold feet. Uh, Yeah, apparently. That would be very tragic. A nice tradition to have. Um, But they apparently they wanted to hire a ghost hunter and it was going to be this very performative show thing. So I think they decided against it, but mm. so it remains to be seen, but there still could be some paranormal activity in high Texas. Exactly. I mean, they, they left the cemetery. They didn't unearth anything. They or, left the shoes too. Exactly. When they found the shoes, they did put the shoes back where they found them. So. Yes. So there are some fun ghost stories of wineries. That might be a fun um, tour that we could do at some point. Oh, absolutely. Do, there are tours of haunted wineries. Do all of the haunted wineries of California. So you can hear the real embellished stories. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Have you ever done one of those haunted tours in a city like New Orleans or Charleston? Charleston. Or? Yeah. Pulled and, by carriage. 
Oh, by carriage. And horse. Of, by, of course, by a horse-drawn carriage in Charleston. Yeah, duh. <laughs> and I, do you buy into those or do you think that they're embellished for ticket's I mean, sake? Perhaps. There's a lot of history in Charleston, but. There, there's a lot of stuff that's gone down in <laughs> yeah. Charleston. That's why I said Charleston or New Orleans. I think those are like the two most haunted cities I could think of. The main port city with a lot of history. So there's right. that. Um, but I actually knew a guy that was one of the tour guides. Oh, really? And it's, there's like a base script and then that's like, please input your own embellishment. Really? But try to keep it consistent. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah. They're just in it for the tips at that point then. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. They're storytellers. Well, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you kind of lose what the story actually is, right? Exactly. Like I said, there, it is based on some truth and a lot of, not Hearsay. awesome things happened, mm-hmm. but yeah. well, and I mean, even like our, like our book today, we kind of, you know, there was like a story and then there was the book story. Right. And there, we found that there's a lot of embellishments on it. And so I feel like every good ghost story is like 80% true. Right. It has to be based on some kind of believability. Maybe and- 70% true. <laughs> Over time, I think that percentage goes down. <laughs> Every generation that tells it, maybe it loses 10%. No, actually, we found some information and that did not happen. Maggie was not, in fact, thrown to the ceiling. That is true. That is <laughs> so. true. She did not, like, was not, like, magnetically transported to the ceiling. Exactly. And, yeah. That would, I, I, would, I think I wouldn't have... Lasted another night in the house if that had happened. That might have been like the last night they stayed in there, but yeah, still embellished by her dad. Still, yes. Well, thank you for spending time with us today uh, at Reading Between the Wines. If you head on over to readingbetweenthewines.blog, you'll find out more about what we drank today, more about the wineries, the haunted wineries, the haunted wineries that we discussed. And uh, to all of our Patreon subscribers, thank you so much. You keep us in wine and books, and for that we are so grateful. To our audacious audio engineer, Colin Caston, and to our ingenious producer, Stacy Grow, we are grateful for everything that you do for this podcast. And so until we meet again, may you always keep your glass half full. Cheers! Cheers.